Okay. okay. Imposter syndrome can be a silent struggle lurking in the shadows of achievement and success. It's that nagging voice that whispers, you don't belong here, but fear not because today we're bringing it into the spotlight. We're joined by Dr. Nakia Smith, a physician anesthesiologist who will guide us through the intricacies of imposter syndrome, sharing insights, personal experiences, and actionable advice. So if you've ever felt like you're not worthy of your accomplishments or struggled with fear of being exposed as fake, you're not alone. So let's dive into the heart of imposter syndrome and start the journey towards reclaiming our confidence and acknowledging our true worth. So without further ado, we're going to kick this episode off. And Dr. Nakia, thank you for agreeing to come on today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and discuss this topic. Absolutely. Um, Before I jump into any questions, is there anything that you wanted to start with, a little bit about your background or anything like that? Do you want to start with? Sure. So yeah, I'm Dr. Nakia Smith. I'm an anesthesiologist by training. I have been out of training for about 10 years now and, um, you know, just living life. But amidst COVID, I finally realized that I had burnout. And so as I was recovering from my burnout, I was doing a lot of self-discovery, reading, podcasts, you know, all that mm-hmm. good stuff, books and meditations, journaling. And that's actually when I kind of discovered imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, so it's something that I have been struggling with since training, but I just recently kind of got a grasp on and over the past few years. And it's something that's just so um, intriguing to me. And I just love talking about it. Okay. Well, being that you said that, my first question, can you briefly explain what imposter syndrome is and how it manifests? Imposter syndrome, um, like the definition is just feeling like an imposter or a fraud, even though you have evidence of otherwise. So like, even though you have degrees and certificates and experience, you still feel like you're not qualified to do the job you're going to do. And that one day someone's going to tell you like, why have you been doing this 20 years? You're not good at it. Like, get out of here. Um, and and the as it's evolved over the years, there's been like different types. Like, so they'll say, oh, there's five types of imposter syndromes. Um, but as you get into those things, I think the biggest thing to remember is it's just that inner critic. It's the negative voice that you hear in your head repeatedly throughout the day. And everybody has it. So I don't like to get into the technicalities of it because that's how I feel like you lose people. Mm-hmm. But when you tell someone that negative voice that you hear, even though you're doing something you've done a thousand times and you just kind of believe it, that's mm-hmm. your imposter syndrome. Gotcha. Okay. So for you, when did you first recognize um, that in- imposter syndrome? Um, did it impact your mood or your overall well-being? Right. So like, as I was saying before, I've, I've discovered it when I was already in burnout. And so I was already like in a feeling of exhaustion and fatigue mm-hmm. and overwhelm. And yeah, I was very irritable. So it was hard to say like what the imposter syndrome was contributing to versus what the burnout was contributing to. But as I read deeper and I kind of pinpointed where I first could, could identify my imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. it was when I was around resident and so as I was in medical training that's when I first started getting those overwhelming feelings of I'm not good enough I don't know how I made it here they're going to kick me out any day now and that's when I first started remembering those thoughts and in that time of my life that's when I got really really anxious and that's also when I started having insomnia so I would say that like 
for me, it's like the insomnia, anxiety all started there where I can pinpoint my imposter syndrome, like taking a stronghold over me. Okay. So, and correct me if I'm wrong when I say this. Mm -hmm. So from what I'm gathering with imposter syndrome, does that kind of occur in people who are kind of like overachievers or, you know, they want yes. to successful mm -hmm. everything that they do? Okay. So imposter syndrome is, it's prominent in everybody, but it's more prominent mm -hmm. in overachievers. And I would say the most notable or identifiable type of imposter syndrome is perfectionism, which a lot of women struggle with. We want things to be perfect, done just so, done just how we want it. And then when it's not that, then it's like, oh, you couldn't even do this, or you couldn't even get it perfect, or you couldn't even get it how you want it. So perfectionism is probably the most identified type of imposter syndrome. And when I say that, most of your inner critic wants things to be perfect, wants you to be perfect. And so high achieving women, um, it's especially prominent. There's like statistics that's like 75% of women that have C-level jobs, C-suite jobs, if they have imposter syndrome and they still have it. So like you're talking high level executives with all these degrees, certificates and experience and 75% of them still suffer with imposter syndrome. Okay, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. That's like, so, perfectionism is the word right there. <laughs> it is, um, I mean, I'm just listening to you, and I'm like, mm -hmm. that's me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a lot of us. I was like, ooh. Yeah. So, as I read the word, I was like, oh, this is definitely what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just strive to just try to do things in excellence, and sometimes I will I am my worst critic, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And it's bad because it can hold you back, really, because it's like you get into procrastinating because it's not going to be perfect or procrastinating because you think you should know how to do it. Yeah. Or sometimes even like paralysis, like analysis paralysis. And it can really hold you back if you want to be um, perfect in all things that you do. Thank you for that. All right. So <clears throat> next, I want to jump to... Um, coping mechanisms. What strategies or coping mechanisms did you try to mitigate the impact of imp imposter syndrome on your well-being? Well, um, initially I would say like I was trying to just treat the the symptoms, right? So I was like, oh, I'm not sleeping well, so let me focus on my sleep. Oh, I'm having anxiety, let me try to calm down. But as I did more research, I realized like, okay, you have to just kind of be um more self-aware and the the thing is it doesn't go away right mm -hmm. so it, it it's going to happen as long as you continue to learn and to grow it's going to be there because that means you're going to be doing something new something you haven't done before mm -hmm. if you don't have it that means that you're sitting somewhere you're really in your comfort zone and so at that point you're not going to um feel those feelings because you already know what you're doing. So for me, the coping thing is kind of figuring out what areas um, triggered me more than others, right? Because yeah. you're not going to have the same level of concern for all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. So like which areas did I really want things to be the most perfect and which areas did I care less? Mm -hmm. And then try to figure out like, well, why do I care less? Like, if I cook every night, I don't care. But if I, my house has to be clean, like, you know, like the balance out uh -huh. and then try to figure out why those areas were important to me. And is it important to me or is it important because society says I should be cooking every night and I should have a clean house or is it just something that I would like to have? So 
for me, I, um, I cope by identifying certain areas and then being like, okay, this is important. This isn't important. Release it in this area, release it in this area, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then another coping mechanism that's kind of like my new thing is comparison. So, um, I think we comparison is not all negative, right? But as overachieving women, we compare, uh, um, we compare ourselves to people who are already above us, and we want to be like them. So we're not equal yet, though, because they have more experience or more whatever. But we're trying to compare ourselves to somebody that's further in the game than us. Or I find more frequently talking to people that they compare themselves to the ideal version of themselves, right? That's when you make that great list where you're going to do all this stuff. You're going to do 25 things between seven o'clock and three o'clock. You're going to get it all done because this is going to take five minutes. It's going to take 10 minutes. You know, you have everything planned out and then you can't functionally do what your idealized version of yourself is going to do. And then you're like, Oh, I didn't get all my list done, but it was unrealistic to begin with. So um, I'm like, stop comparing yourself to the perfect world where there's no traffic, there's no kids screaming, there's no other things that are happening and you can get everything done and you're in a zone. And then I started comparing myself actually to some men around me. Um, I mean, I guess men probably do have imposter syndrome as well, but mm -hmm. especially at work, I would be striving mm. to be perfect and efficient and at the detriment of myself, right? I wouldn't take a break because I want to keep things running smoothly. And so I don't want to stop the room. So I have to go to the bathroom. So I just wouldn't drink water and I wouldn't go to the bathroom so that I could be the most efficient person. Meanwhile, when I took a moment to compare myself to my male counterpart, he stopped the room and he was eating. And I'm like, oh, he stops the room and he eats and he stops the room and he goes to the bathroom and he stops the room and he drinks his water. So I'm just like, you know, not all comparison is bad. Like I, you could, I was like, I, I got to Like, if he can take care of himself and I am well within my rights to stop and take care of myself. So absolutely, kind of, kind of comparing in a, in a better way, you know, like not always comparing against the perfect, but look around you and see some people who are doing, who are getting by and doing fine work, but they're not maybe meeting your level of excellence, but see how they are making more time for themselves and try to build that into your regimen. That makes sense. Uh, and you said a key word when you said um, unrealistic. So I had actually written <laughs> about striving to set realistic goals around whatever mechanisms or whatever mm -hmm. weaknesses you think you may may have yeah. so you can navigate better. Because, okay. you know, my list be like, oh, this is so great. I'm like, ah, how did I think I was going to do? <laughs> how did I think I was going to do all this? <laughs> right, because when we do that, it really can overwhelm you because you're trying to check off everything on that to-do mm -hmm. list and that can really cause you to have mm -hmm. a form of like like you said increased anxiety or just yeah. feeling overwhelmed yeah you'll feel you, you created it yourself so you created anxiety yeah. and overwhelm and then you feel bad when you couldn't do it but you're meeting you're meeting no one else's expectation but your own and it's unrealistic so yeah gotcha okay so next I want to ask you about seeking support so I'm wondering mm -hmm. Did you reach out to support from any of your friends or family or even any professional um, support? So um, I would say when in the when I was in the throes of it, but before I knew the word, okay. I do used to like um, I do try to seek out having like a work bestie that I can talk about things with, mm -hmm. and so I do try to talk with them about like, oh my gosh, like you know, I don't know. I wouldn't say I don't feel like a failure. I feel like a fraud, but I would be like, I'm just not sure why I'm doubting my plan. 
-hmm. and they'd be like, yeah, I don't know why you are you there. You got this. Like, you know, so I do think that having good friends who can offer external validation. Um, I know people, they always say you shouldn't seek external validation, but sometimes it's definitely helpful to hear an outside source um, validate you and to have supportive friends who will, who will empower you and give you inspiring words. Um, at the time I was going through my burnout, I definitely did seek, um, therapy and I have a therapist who was helping me work through my burnout and now like also the perfectionism which contributed to my burnout um and so she has been very helpful in um helping me identify triggers and kind of figuring out like more um adaptive ways of coping aside of just like sleeping and shopping and going on trips which would be I think the first ways I was like oh I need to go on a trip but then you know you go on a trip and then you come back and you're like well it's bad <laughs> you don't really escape it and actually I bring mine with me on my trips because then I start planning stuff for the trip and I'm like oh we got to do this and that and that and then I'm like oh I brought my perfectionism on the trip with me so I understand that yeah <laughs> something important you said about support systems. I, I always encourage people to have a strong support system mm -hmm. with whatever it is they're dealing with. It could be, you know, imposter syndrome, depression, anxiety, because it's very important to have effective people pouring into mm -hmm. you and pouring the right things into you. So I've stressed I that. Agree. And so, yes. my, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I agree a thousand percent. Um, my next question, I was going to ask you about changing um, your mindset and how did you work on changing your mindset? But when you talked about a part, the part about going to therapy, that was at the point mm -hmm. where you changed your yeah. mind. I need some additional support. It is. And it's very helpful because mm -hmm. someone to talk through things with you, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, if I just get to this, it'll be over. And then she identified that I have, you know, we, a lot of us do this. We move our goalposts. Oh, and once I do this, then it'll be great. And then you do that. You're like, okay, well then maybe once I do this, like if I get, if I get a master's, I won't feel like I'm an imposter. Then you get your master's. You're like, well, then if I get my doctorate, then maybe I'll feel better. And then you get your doctorate and you're like, oh, I still feel this. And then you're like, let me get a postdoc. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So we do have a habit of moving the goalpost. And she helped me identify that I was doing that to myself. And also, um, like I said earlier, she also helped me kind of uh, refresh frame and it's not something that you really get over and so we don't really use the word syndrome she likes to call it like more like of a phenomenon or a cycle because mm -hmm. there's moments when you don't have it there's moments when you're flying high and then it might come crashing down so it's not something that you have to think that you're going to have all the time all day every day but once you start getting more confident it will it'll silence and then you'll try something new and then it will come back up so it's kind of just like it won't ever go away as long as you continue to try to do things that are, uh, you know, impactful and important to you. And so just um, keeping that at the forefront, it's just like, okay, I know I'm trying something new. So I know this is going to come up and how can I prepare myself and being self-aware? Gotcha. About six months, maybe close to a year ago, mm -hmm. um, I was having a conversation with my niece, Chantel, and something she said at the time, I didn't quite understand, but you just said it. She mm -hmm. told me, Aunt Jenny, I think you identify through education when you were talking about the masters and the doctorate. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, no, I don't think I do. But now what you just said, I was like, I have. Because 
I've always tried to strive for excellence. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is because um, when I was growing up, you know, I was told numerous yeah. times in my life that I wouldn't be able to achieve certain things. Mm -hmm. And that was like my fuel. Like, nope, I'm not going to stop here. When I finished this degree, but I remember one time I was working on um, my MBA and there was another degree, <laughs> which mm -hmm. I only needed four more classes. So I was like, oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> go ahead and take these four classes so that I can have a dual master's. And at the time when she told me that it really did not mm -hmm. resonate with me until just now. So maybe I really was. <laughs> it is through my education yeah and it's hard because I was raised with that same thing about you have to do more and be more to be seen as equal and so these things are like implanted in us and we're like we had to just keep doing more and I think that that it's not completely negative I do think that's why that black women are the highest you know growing um demographic for education mm -hmm. entrepreneurship I think that's part of it but I also want to see us actually being happy and fulfilled I don't want us yeah. to just be striving for these degrees in education because they look good. I mean, if you if if you like it, I love it, you know, but I don't want you to strive for this and be like, well, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also just not happy or I'm a doctor. I'm not happy. I'm a PhD, but I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. But I just kept striving. So I would like for both things to be true. <laughs> you were happiness because, I mean, you can have all the success, education, whatever. But if you're not happy. And what's it for? It right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So next I want to jump into um sharing your your story. Um mm -hmm. what made you just decide like you wanted to be open and just kind of just just share? Yeah. So me, I just was really low and I was just like, um, I said I was highly irritable. I was chronically sleep deprived and I'm a venter by nature. So usually I vent to get my energy and emotions out and then I feel better. Um, and so I was just like, man, like this is some BS. <laughs> I did all this. I spent all this time, all this money. I missed all these stuff and I'm not happy. And then, um, I was just like, I'm not happy. I have to figure out how to change my life. And I just started by telling my friends, but um, I was a little bit hesitant at first. But like, again, I guess when you get to a point, you're just so defeated that you just really feel like, well, I can't get any lower, so I might as well just share it. And so I felt like I was kind of at that point, unfortunately. But when I started sharing with my friends, I got more like, yeah, like, I'm not that happy either. Um, but, you know, it's always this thing where it's like, if you're an educated woman who has the things that society tells you that you should want, then why are you complaining about not being happy, right? So you're, I feared, that's what I was fearing, the judgment of like, well, you're a doctor and you're married and you have your house, like you did all the things you should do, so why aren't you happy? And I really didn't have an answer for it at the time. You know, I was just like, I don't know. I just know that this is not like, this is not my destiny to just do this for 30 more years. Mm -hmm. But when I started sharing with my friends, they were just like, yeah, it's kind of like, is this it? Like, is this it? Like we did all this to become this. And like, is this all that there is? Mm -hmm. And so um, I was happy that I wasn't alone. And I like to share my story and say, that's why we need support. That's why you need a tribe. It's just to realize like you feel very alone in your feelings. You feel very isolated. Mm -hmm. um, 
because you see people moving, you're like, well, they don't, they must not have, you know, an inner critic. They must not have this fear that I'm having, but some people are just moving with the fear. And so to see like, I'm having the fear and I'm just moving with it. It helps other people see that they can just move through it. And so sharing the story is very important. So as I identified that more of my friends were feeling like me, then I was like, well, I got to just keep sharing my story and sharing my journey because if it can even help just one person, then it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you did uh, Mm -hmm. agree to come on the show today to share the story. And so for me, um, dealing with some uh, childhood and adult traumas, I kept it to myself for Mm -hmm. years. But along the way, I had people to pour into me about things that they were, were going through. So then I kind of felt, okay, so I'm not alone because that's really how I feel. Mm-hmm. And then there were points in my life where I felt like if I really tell how I feel, people, I, I want them to see the the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, homeowner, um, going to school, decent career. I really felt like it would be a weakness mm-hmm. if I opened up about things that that I was going through and I really felt like it was a weakness if I sought out some type of professional support. So I harbored that for years to the point yeah. I, I was just ineffective mm-hmm. in almost every area of my life. It was overwhelming. It was too much. And so once I started opening up I realized, oh my gosh, I went through this and I didn't understand at the time, but now I understand Mm -hmm. that my journey was really to help someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's someone else who was thinking just like me, let me harbor all of this in. Yep. And if you can catch them earlier, then you're like, well, if you don't Mm -hmm. wait as long as I did. And a lot of people do think that. And I thought that way for a while as well, like that vulnerability and sharing the struggle, the troubles Mm -hmm. is weakness or you're complaining or you're not grateful. Um, And it's hard, but I had to listen to like, I listened to Brene Brown, the gift of imperfection, like two or three times. And I was just like, vulnerability is not a weakness you know like vulnerability is not a weak like I had to like say that to myself like so now I've you know people are like oh you have so much courage and I'm like well you know you kind of just have to brain like you know, not brainwash yourself but you have to like you know do these affirmations do these mantras and like I say frequently I'm like I'm not I'm not unafraid I just move through it I just proceed with the fear and then eventually you just kind of I don't know if you ever outgrow it. I've heard speakers, like public speakers say they never outgrow it, right? They've been speaking for years. And every time they go on a stage, they still feel that same feeling, but they just know to move through it. So Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get my message out because I know there's a lot of women, uh, um, especially black women who are going into healthcare and um, these, like you said, high achieving professions where you're mostly surrounded by white males. And Mm -hmm. so- it the impo- I don't know that it, the imposter is louder, but it, I think it feels louder. <laughs> All right. So my last question for you today, mm-hmm. you've, you've kind of covered this some. Um, are there any specific resources or strategies that you would recommend for those who are looking to overcome um, imposter syndrome or they identify with imposter right. syndrome? Right. Yeah. So definitely I kind of covered them, but I'll try to summarize them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one, don't feel like you're alone, right? Mm -hmm. Two, find a supportive tribe so that you know that you're not alone and they can pour into you and reaffirm you when you don't have that energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then three, I think it's important to do the self-discovery. Like now, if you hear about it, you become more Mm self-aware of different ways it may be coming up in your life Um, because everybody gets it differently. You know, like maybe you don't care about it so much at work, but maybe you're um, very athletic and competitive and maybe at work you don't have as much imposter syndrome, but when you go compete, you do. Mm -hmm. And so however it shows up, I mean, a lot of people have like, um, like familial, like parenting imposter syndrome so like at work it's like one thing but then when they're parenting it's something different so I don't have kids but I was talking to a friend and she was like oh you know I don't really feel like that then as I'm explaining the feeling she goes oh I actually feel like that in a different capacity so doing the work to figure out like your triggers like what parts of it are you know causing you to feel inadequate and try to figure out why and then try to you know learn how to cope with it in the best way that you can and then um like I said, sometimes the coping is different. Sometimes it's putting on blinders and not comparing yourself mm-hmm. to anybody and doing what you feel is best for your you, your kids, your job, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it is taking off the blinders and looking around and being like, oh, I'm so hard on myself, but everybody else is like in the same boat. Mm-hmm. So you have to know when to blinder and when to unblinder. And that takes practice of like, you know, of the, the awareness. And then lastly, like they say, um, I've read this a million times since I started doing it, collect receipts, right? So there's going to be proof of your greatness. People are going to email you saying, thank you so much mm-hmm. or doing for doing this or for being this. Your friends will text you saying thanks for support. People at work will email you saying thanks for having a nice meeting or whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Like those, you, you we, we get them and we disregard them. And we remember the negative things mm-hmm. that people say about us, but remember mm-hmm. the positive things. And if you have to keep them, like screenshot them or write them down, like whatever you is your preferred method. That way, when you're feeling low, you can go back and you're like, oh, I'm such a horrible parent. And then you go back and you like your kid's like, you're the best mom ever. You know, like you have yeah. to counteract that negative thought with positive proof. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's uh, something that we have to strive is to change the way we think. Mm-hmm. If we change the way we think it can change our lives so if we always yeah. have stinking thinking then that's most yeah. likely going to be stinking thinking i love that yeah. <laughs> yeah it is and that's what i said it's like it's not it's not one and done though it's like it's not like you go to the gym once and you're fit you go to the gym like three to four times a week so yeah. when you do your mindset work it's the same thing it's something Absolutely. you have to do consistently yeah. and you have to continue it so like that's just mental fitness just like like you know physical fitness so absolutely that that goes hand in hand mm-hmm. your physical awareness as well as your mental it, it goes together you have to exercise mm-hmm. your mental health and well-being as well as your physical yeah yes i definitely agree right so thank you for coming on today um did you i meant to ask you prior to do you have any books or resources or any type of publications out or anything about imposter syndrome that was something I meant to to ask you initially no, no. so I don't yeah I don't okay. personally I just kind of just go through you know I'm just going through all the books people have out now like yeah. I do recommend um like I said I do recommend Brene Brown it's not focused on imposter syndrome but when you start focusing on vulnerability and authenticity mm-hmm. and not feeling shame and guilt I think that really helps with the imposter syndrome so 
And then um, there's another book called Radical Self-Compassion that I also recommend. Self-Compassion, okay. Mm -hmm. By Kristen Neff, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. part of it. Like part of it is that we're just so hard on ourselves. That's why mm -hmm. like yeah. that voice is usually a hard voice beating down on you. So when you start growing your self-compassion, you can be like, oh, that's not perfect. Like it's okay, it's good enough. And nobody nobody notices or cares anyway. And then you kind of just mm -hmm. like, like bounce off more, you know? Right, Let's move mm -hmm. on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you for your time and I appreciate you and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yes, thank you for having me. Have a good thank weekend. You. All right, take care. Bye. Bye.